Welcome to Enigmatic Metallic Podcast, where we respect fashion's past, analyze fashion's present, and get excited about fashion's future. I'm Liberty Ampoff, founder and creative principal of fashion media company Manic Metallic. Once a week, we'll bring you episodes about exciting things happening in fashion, discussion about current things facing the industry, and the places and people that have made the fashion industry great. We'll have a mixture of episodes with guest interviews and solo episodes, all designed to challenge your assumption of what fashion is, who it is for, and who can participate in this industry. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram at the Metapathology Podcast and at Metapathology. We'll link in our show notes. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the Manic Metallic Podcast. I'm Liberty, your host. So I gotta say, I really enjoyed recording today's episode with our guest, A.K. Brown. Her honesty and willingness to make room for others in the fashion industry were both so refreshing in what can be a superficial industry. And I know you're gonna love this episode too. A.K. Brown, a fashion connector, is a multifaceted fashionpreneur, fashion expert, thought leader, and connection maker who uses her platform to educate and advocate for other fashion brands, creatives, and businesses. She is St. Louis-based and, with 10 years of experience, has grown her brand through the product development, styling, media, nonprofit, and educational sectors. She is the founder and CEO of Forward Society, the first nonprofit for black, brown, and people of color fashion creatives and professionals in St. Louis, Missouri. She's the co-owner of Pink Muse Studio, a fashion editorial studio and magazine, and is an adjunct professor at Stevens, the Institute of Business and Arts. She's been quoted as such in fashion outlets, including Teen Vogue, The Zoe Report, InStyle, and Bustle, and has worked with organizations and community leaders locally and nationally, including Representative Cori Bush, Washington University, and Magic. You can see that you're in for a fun time. School's in session. Let's welcome AK to the Manic Metallic Podcast. AK, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me after all of our <laughs> technical issues. I know it was awful, <laughs> but yeah, glad we got that fixed. So give us a short summary of who you are and what you're doing in the fashion industry. Definitely. So a lot of people know me as AK Brown, the fashion connector. I've actually been in the industry for 10 years, and throughout those 10 years, I've done and dove or experienced everything from blogging to influencing, styling, creative directing, owning a magazine, owning a nonprofit, and I now kind of have reshifted and rebranded into this connecting platform because I am a advocate for fashion. I feel like we really have to do away with the term gatekeeping. So I try to use my platform to advocate and celebrate for the multifaceted fashionpreneur and really just try to give them as many tips, tricks, resources, and connections. So connections to other people that are doing amazing things in fashion to at least make that journey easier for them versus how it was when I tried to get into fashion and was trying to do my research trying to make connections. Some of those connections didn't pan out because unfortunately we still are in a very toxic side of the fashion industry. And I feel like we kind of got to stop that and do what we can to do away with the toxicity. 
Absolutely, I agree. And I actually want to get back to that aspect of being a fashion connector and collaborating with folks. And, you know, later on in the podcast, because that's something that Manic Metallic has been working on lately as well. We're definitely going to talk more about that. But can you talk to us about now your early life and how you became interested in fashion and what made you want to be involved in the industry? Yeah, definitely. I think I can remember wanting to be in fashion when I was like 11 and 12. And a lot of that inspiration came from my mom, came from my aunt, came from my cousins. And then just them really kind of like investing into that like and that passion. My mom gave me my own Vogue subscription when I was like 12. And so I would get my own little Vogue magazine each month and I would look through it. And that's when I thought I wanted to be a designer. Um, And we quickly realized years later, I am not meant for that. But I would sit there and like draw my own renditions of the ads that were in Vogue or what they were showcasing in the editorials and stuff like that. And then that kind of manifested into, again, me thinking I wanted to be a designer in high school. And then I really feel like I started to find my voice into who I was and what I wanted to be when I got into undergrad. Okay, so you mentioned that your family helped to groom that interest of yours in fashion. Were any of them also in the industry at all? Were they creatives? Actually, no, which is funny. I feel like if I'm thinking about it between both sides of my family, I'm really the only one that has pursued fashion as a nine to five, a business endeavor, a hobby, passion project, whatever you want to call it. I think I'm the only one. My mom, she's been in travel for 36 years. The first job that she ever got when she was 20, it's the same job that she has now. My dad, He was a truck driver. He liked fashion, but he didn't pursue it corporately or as a business. And honestly, as I'm thinking about anybody else, cousins, relatives, aunts, uncles, I know. I think I'm the only one that is in fashion and has, and it took a lot. I'll even say this. I think that's a good point to make, especially with my mom. I think it took a lot of convincing to get her to realize, I don't care what you're saying. I understand I need to be able to survive and all this other type of stuff but I'm going to do fashion. I don't care if it kills me. And even after 10 years and me being 31, she's just now kind of like, okay, this is what you're doing. I want to kind of do it too. No, because you were talking all your crap (laughs) over the course of a decade. This is not reliable. This is not practical. X, Y, and Z. And so, no, I'm the only face in the family of yeah, if you want to go, go ask AK, or I, my real name is Alex. Go ask cousin Alex. You want to do fashion? Go ask Alex. She'll tell you because I'm the only one that's doing it. That's really interesting that they, I should say your mom was basically like, yeah, maybe you don't want to do this. You have to survive somehow. But then yes. she comes around and she's like, well, I want to do this too. And I feel like yes. it's like that with people because I was... The only one in my family that went into anything creative fashion-wise, I came from a working class background. So my parents had basically whatever job that they were going to have and, you know, they raised us and we never went without anything, but we were, we were pretty working class. And definitely, I, I know that my mom wanted to do photography and she never went into photography and, 
I know that my brother was good at singing, but he never went into the music industry. But here exactly. I am having wanted to do fashion. But here's the thing, like when I was younger, I, this is going to sound real dumb now looking back <laughs> on it. When, when I was in high school, I didn't know that fashion school existed. Right. I didn't like, I grew up outside of Atlanta, like 35 uh, or so miles from the city. Yeah. I didn't know what a fashion school was. Now I knew that I wanted to be in the fashion industry and I've yeah. always known that I wanted to own a business, but, yeah. but then I went to school for something that was decidedly not fashion finance. And wow. of course, you know, I get outside of school and now I'm just out in the world doing stuff. And it's like, yeah. you know what? I kind of hate this. I'm going to yeah. go in the fashion. And so basically this isn't to bring up my story, but just to your point of people not really buying into fashion as a viable career until you Still go to out. this day, they don't think that, and this is me now being a yeah. fashion professor. So I'm having to go out and advocate for the school that I teach. And I still get people like, oh, so you teach people actually? Yes, I do. And you can get a job. And it, it's still to this day, 2023, people don't think that it makes sense. I think that's why there needs to be a real conversation on curriculum in education and fashion. And there's even still, because I even did a blog post just to try to bring, again, representation and visibility. I did like, these are all the HBCUs that offer some type of fashion degree. But when I was doing my research, a lot of them are still categorized under the family and consumer sciences oh. category instead of it actually being a full-fledged fashion department, which again is kind of crazy because I know what that means. Like they're not going to get the education that I got being at a full-fledged fashion department or like Wash U, we have one of the biggest fashion programs that's been recognized. That's the school that created the junior trend that came out of Wash U. So I'm in St. Louis where it's like fashion, like, yeah, we understand what fashion is. And I'm trying to tell people, okay, well, look at your local colleges. And they're like, well, it's only just family consumer sciences. That's the reason why people sometimes don't take it seriously. There's not tools and resources to actually groom and actually invest into a viable fashion career. I think that fashion being categorized under family and consumer sciences goes back to the era when women were still primarily working in the home, unless you were yep. a teacher or a nurse. And back then, more people knew how to sew and they knew how to make their own clothes, how to yep. make their own clothes. And even these days, people don't take fashion that seriously. They see it as a women's pursuit. Exactly. You are absolutely correct. Right. So what school do you teach at again? I teach at Stevens. The Institute of Business and Arts is actually the only school that is on Washington Street. So for us, we have the historic garment district. So that's where all of our old factories were, our shoe factories. Like we were very much known for the fur trade and then for shoe development. So that's the only school that's actually still on the historic garment district street. Right. So let's talk now about I've got a lot of things I want to get into, but <laughs> I'm actually interested in knowing more about the St. Louis fashion community because here yeah. I am over here on the East Coast, Manic Metallica's mm -hmm. base in Philadelphia. It's like an hour and 45 minutes from New York, yep. but 
we're based over here in the East Coast fashion scene. And yep. when you're in proximity to New York City, I feel like New York City sucks everything else up in a vacuum. And that's all that yep. you hear about. And with Manic Metallic, my goal is to let people know that there are more fashion cities out there, more fashion scenes than just the four international ones that we hear about New York. Exactly. Yep. More internationally and more nationally across the United States. So yep. what's St. Louis's fashion scene like? That is a great question. So <sighs> we have potential. And I say that because there has been, over the course of probably like five years now, this thought process of revitalizing our garment district. However, I feel like we are still lacking in a lot of things. And that's one of the reasons why I did decide to start my nonprofit. First off, with us being in the Midwest, it's automatically assumed that fashionable people don't come out of St. Louis. Like when I travel, people don't believe that I'm in St. Louis or that I'm from St. Louis. And you it's know like, what's crazy though? A couple of well-known people these days in fashion are actually from St. Louis. Do you I'm know sure they are. Car- Carly Kloss and Derek Blasberg? And Jason Bolden, um, he, his sister actually is still here. I think she's one of the head directors at Neiman Marcus, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, you can't just have this preconceived notion about what's fashionable or not and what's stylish or not, because that's just a whole construct that's just, it's subjective and it's relative. It's whatever you think is fashionable and stylish. So we already have that thought process with basically the end consumer as far as what's fashionable and not. Now, as far as within the industry, for me being a Black woman, a Black millennial, I know for a fact that there is not a heavy focus on Black or the minority group in fashion. So when we started, we were known as Black in St. Louis fashion, and now we're known as Forward Society. It stemmed from just, I had never seen a roundup of just Black or Brown or minority fashion creatives in St. Louis. They may get thrown one or two in like a big old roundup of other white people, but it was never just focused on us. So we did an editorial. It basically went viral. We ended up getting press from all the major outlets in St. Louis, and it was very much evident that there was a need for this group. So then we became a nonprofit. Even now, there's about five or six different groups in St. Louis, and I even talked about this on my podcast, and I've talked about this to the people. Okay. You have all these people that are trying to now create these similar groups and they all have the same mission and we all look confusing. (laughs) There was an event that we just had or that they just had that I attended and you had four of these people up doing a panel that essentially three of them are running these quote unquote big major nonprofits. And it came to the Q&A portion. And one of the ladies was just like, I don't understand why any of you guys are up here. I'm confused as to what this is. So I think Hmm. that there are a lot of people here that they're starting groups that are ego driven. And it's taken away from the work that we really need to do to provide back to our community. And I think that we're not really going to be seen as serious until we all come together as one and just create one big organization and then figure out what we can realistically provide to the community. I think once we do that, we can actually start to revitalize the garment district. There's a lot of divide here, too. I'm not going to sugarcoat it between whether it's ethnic groups or even experience groups, if that makes sense. I think this is just in fashion. 
I think the emerging is always left out because you're expected to know everything immediately. And that's just not what it is, or it's not realistic. We have to support our emerging in whatever they're trying to do, because how do we expect them to get up to being someone that has their business foundations in place and is really someone that is confident in being a fashion creative if we're not supporting them from the emerging stages? I feel like there's a lot of the emerging being left out here because people don't want to be mentors. They feel like if I try to help this person, it's going to hinder my journey. It's a lot of that. And people don't realize my path is my path. Your path is your path. They can cross paths in a positive way, but someone else's journey does not dictate yours because your journey was already manifested and destined before you even realized it. Right. I have this thing that I've been saying recently to folks where I believe that I don't have competition and Manic Metallic doesn't have competition. Yep. And that's not an ego statement. It's just fact. Because you think about it, competition is kind of an illusion, isn't it? Because as you said, everyone is on their own path and what you do and your success that you have, it's not affected by what someone else does. Just because someone else is successful doesn't mean that you can't be successful. And in fact, and in fact, you're not going to have a good unified fashion industry, fashion infrastructure, unless you unify. Yeah. I just really wish more people will understand that because it's like, and here's the thing, I'll even say when I was starting off in my career, I didn't have that mindset. I burnt a couple bridges early on just because like, I don't know what I was thinking. Let me just say that. But then when I realized it's like, it really doesn't matter what this person is doing, what that person is doing. You can still celebrate them. You can still root for them, even if they're a stylist, you know, or even if they're this, or even if they're that, even if they're another blogger. And once I switched gears and switched my mindset, it's been so much easier because my sauce is my sauce, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I am the only person that can bring that authentic AK flavor to the content that I create, to the resources that I curate. If I'm going to speak on the panel, if I'm doing something like this, speaking on the podcast, if I'm styling someone, if I'm doing something and my other stylist friend, they have their own secret sauce. That's them. I do me. We can still cohabitate. We can still celebrate each other. We can still collaborate and work with each other. And I just want everyone else in fashion to get on that train so we can do good things. Exactly. Fashion has this history that goes back it goes way back, in fact, of being this really vain, petty, backstabbing industry. As much as we all yes. like fashion, all of us in you can't be in fashion without loving fashion because it's yes. it's a very vicious industry. But it has this tendency to be backstabby and petty. And I'm not sure if it's because people see that, oh, that's what people have been historically in fashion and yeah. and they're seen as cool and elite and unique. And so I want to be exactly like then, or I'm not sure if it's that, or if people just have a scarcity mindset, oh, yeah. only a certain amount of people can be successful and there isn't room for all of us. So I'm not sure, but I do wish that people would get over it. Yeah. So you mentioned that you've got the Forward Society in St. Louis, but also there are these other organizations that yep. are doing 
similar things. I mean, yes. why? It, let's just talk a bit more about why that is. Why is there this disunity? I mean, is it? Do you think that it's just ego, or why? Why not? <laughs> com- why not combine into? I've been thinking about this recently for Philadelphia scene yeah. being here. I mean, it's a similar thing. There aren't as many organizations, sure, yeah. but it seems like you got all of these folks and they're not really converging into yeah. one scene. It's like they're working parallel alongside each other. It's like, correct. why can't we see so if you think of organizations like the CFDA or the British Fashion Council is one that I've been thinking oh, right. about a lot recently where every fashion organization over there, every designer, whatever have you, the British Fashion Council oversees that fashion scene. And that's why they've got such a vibrant and creative scene exactly. in, in London. So why can't cities like Philadelphia or St. Louis mm-hmm. or wherever have a same or similar thing? That's a great question. So I'll even take our group, for example, to put it into perspective. So They were essentially trying to do something where everything was going to be just under one big umbrella. The question was brought in by people like big people on big boards that are like NPR with these big old companies that we have in St. Louis. Essentially, they were creating yet another name, creating yet another entity. So if you're going through the process of doing all that, Just pick a name from one of the already established entities, everyone merge, and just do the work. For me personally, I had brought up that scenario and then had to look at my, and this was before we Mm -hmm. rebranded, and had to look at our group and realize we were doing the exact same thing where we were culprits of it and we needed to fix it. So we have a person in a group that is responsible for St. Louis Black Fashion Week. Love them. We're not in affiliation, but highly in support of. I've tried to go through the process of having the conversation of, I think we just need to do this together because for one, I don't feel like doing all this work by myself. And two, I think we have two unique things that we can merge together. I do feel like with that group and just other groups, I think there is, even if we don't want to call it ego, I think everyone likes to be in charge of something. And so when accolades and when acknowledgement and all that does come into play, obviously people want to be the person to be able to be quoted in articles and in press or to go on the news and all that stuff. That's cool. That's fine. That's dandy. But for me, I don't need this nonprofit to do that. AK Brown, the brand has already done that. I do my own press for my own self because I have my other established brands. To where if I wanted to be in the forefront in the media and get articles and blurbs, I don't need the nonprofit to do that. So we sat down and I actually just put a blast out on Facebook like, hey, I can't do this alone. So I'm trying to rebrand. Who wants to be a part of my board? It's not going to be like a normal nonprofit board. I want this to be inclusive. I want you guys to feel like you are contributing to the change. Even if you feel like you're just emerging or you're a student, I want you a part of my board. So we finally got a board together. We rebranded for a more concise purpose. We renamed it because we wanted to be able to help other minority groups. So the Hispanic, Asian, anybody that is a minority group in the future, if anyone wanted to merge, I would still be open to it. Because if that means we have a more unified message, I think that's what we need, especially from a funding perspective. 
what people don't realize is, especially with sponsorship and funding, groups have an allotment of money that they normally have for a year. And they're basically having to pick and choose what groups they're going to donate to. So if you have all these six groups that essentially have the same freaking goal and mission, you're splitting the money. Not even splitting the money. It's more, they're probably just going to pick one group to donate to, and then that's it. Mm. And so it's like, that's why we all need to unify. But at the end of the day, you really can't force people to do that or to use common sense. I can only do my part. And I know that we also have an advantage kind of over most of the groups because we are only focused on the minority. And so, especially when it comes to a funding perspective, that's kind of what it is. Supporting Black, yeah, we're going to support Black. Support Hispanic, yeah, we're going to support Hispanic. Support Asian, yeah, we're going to support Asian. Basically supporting any underrepresented groups. That's kind of what's been the motto and the trend, especially over the recent years. But again, for me, if there's an opportunity to become more unified and linear, I'm the doors are open for me because I understand the bigger picture and I, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with our community being taken seriously. I see. So one more thing about the St. Louis fashion scene, and then I want to yeah. move on. Now, do you find that with the fashion industry there that you all are building community inside of the city and just building up the industry that way? Or is there any effort to partner with organizations and other fashion folks outside of the city, whether that's nationally or internationally? That's a good question. So I cannot speak for the other groups. However, I know for us as Forward Society, that is a goal. We are in talks of potentially talking with, I believe they're called Fashion Arts Fund. They are basically like a fashion fund for Kansas City. And honestly, if we want to look at uniformity and linear messaging, Kansas City is a great city to look at. They have all their ducks in a row. They are all working together. They are all in collaboration. And I absolutely love it. And they are CFDA backed, just like Nashville is CFDA backed. So we're looking to forge some type of partnership, collaboration with Kansas City. I would love to do something with Nashville. I know it's been a couple of years since they've had their fashion week. I would love to even do something with Omaha. Omaha is actually the biggest Omaha. fashion week in the Midwest, which you in Nebraska? Not... Yeah. Wow. Right. So (laughs) it's like you wouldn't think that. So it's like, I think just from a more, not even global scale, but like regional scale, we all have to, we have to have those partnerships with other cities in the Midwest, because then again, from a bigger picture, it helps bring people here. I think what we, especially for our students or anyone that's relocating, we have so much money that's being invested into St. Louis now. What I've been telling people is, and even telling people for myself, get your property now, buy your house, because within the next three years, nothing's going to be affordable. We have a Lamborghini dealership being bought uh, or being built. Um, It's been so much renovation. We have a developer here that's basically building Miami-esque houses, selling for Mm -hmm. a minimum $500,000. And for that being said, it's going to be more attractive for students to stay here versus going to New York or L.A., or whether it's here, Kansas City, Nashville, Omaha. So if we want to get people to stay here and build up the industry and community, we have to come together as one so we can basically promote that as a unit. 
So one thing that I wanted to talk about with you also is that I actually listened to one of your recent podcast episodes. Okay. It was episode, great podcast, by the way. I recommend oh, thank it. Thank you. You're welcome. I recommend to anyone listening, go and listen to the hot guy. Yes. And subscribe, etc. So yeah, I was listening to a recent episode, episode 10. Okay. Ways to brand as a fashion expert. Yes. And I know that one thing that's been big for you recently is talking to folks about why they should maybe reconsider being a fashion influencer and not do that and, yep. and brand as a fashion expert instead. Yep. So one thing that I really like about that conversation, I mean, I liked all of it, but one thing that I really like is your emphasis on the fact that social media is really not the way to build a business. You've got to yes. have a website, you've got to have a newsletter and yep. basically something that you own because yes. now Meta won't care if your business fails. Meta won't care if you're homeless. Exactly. <laughs> that goes for the rest of these platforms. So could you just talk a bit about why you think that it's important to build websites, newsletters, things like that for your company? Definitely. Here's the thing. It's like, I think a lot of us as fashion creatives and professionals were thrown into being content creators when a lot of us don't care to <laughs> be content creators. Right. That's one. And I, I understand that we were kind of like, oh, you know, half of us on Facebook were given the professional dashboard. So you were earning money on statuses, on comments, on likes, on shares, on reels, on lives. And that's great. And I was even earning money on Instagram. It was like a couple hundred every month, you know, just some play money, bill money, spend money. Something. But I always knew... And always had my websites in the background. And maybe it's because for me, I started off in the core blogging era of 2013, 14, 15. So it's like you had to have a website for your blog. It wasn't just posting pictures on Instagram. Instagram came kind of after that fact. You had to have a website. You were joining the blogging groups online, like IBF or something like that. You were having to take the pictures, post the pictures on your blog. Everyone was commenting on your blog. That's where I came from. So I always knew the importance of having your own website. And we see now TikTok is already banned on some campuses at colleges. We already know that with Facebook and Instagram, they're being owned by Meta. Facebook has been experiencing so many layoffs. Instagram just don't work half the time. Like I have experienced over the past two months. I can't even follow people back half the time. I'm not shadow banned. I'm still getting engagement. But if I go and click on someone to follow, half the time it will work, half the time it won't. So it's like you just don't want to have your connectivity to your audience be reliant on a platform that is not, it's not concrete. It's not solid. It's not reliable. I refuse to lose my connection to my audience because Instagram wants to go down or because Mark basically blew all his money and now it's so many layoffs at Facebook now they want to get mad and shut down Facebook or why is it that you can almost see porn on Facebook but if I say something in a jokey manner to a friend my main platform gets banned for 30 freaking days but you can see literally pornography on Facebook I refuse to let social media have the upper hand so it's very important for our creatives 
get your own self-hosted website. You can do Squarespace, you can do WordPress, you can, like I particularly, I have SiteGround and then I have WordPress for my website. So I pay monthly or yearly for my hosting and then I just have my website powered through WordPress. I haven't had any issues within like the last five years I've had my website. So it's really good. Then you also, even if this is the start and then you figure out the website on the back end, get a newsletter. Flowdesk, MailChimp, ConvertKit. You can at least start to gather your audience because you know that these people taking the time to sign up, they care about what you potentially have to talk about. So you know that these are the people that you can talk to, that you can sell to, that you can get to come to one of your events. But you would just hate, or I would just hate for when you wake up, you try to log into Instagram and it, for some reason, it shut down. I feel like that's literally going to happen. And then on top of that, they're now trying to monetize the blue checks, basically, you know, being an important person. I feel like just what they do with the bonus program is going to get to the point where it's too many people are signing up for blue checks. And then you have the people that got blue checks without having to pay. There's going to be a conflict. And then they're going to take the blue check program away. But then you just pay $14.99 a month for each platform. That's another thing. You have to pay $14.99 on Facebook and on Instagram. Which so is ridiculous. Like, yeah, it's $30. And then if you have multiple pages, each one of those pages, you have to pay $14.99. It's basically just a cash scam. I don't want to play into social media's cash scam. No, you're not getting my money. Yeah, I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with that. It's, I mean, and scam is the perfect word for it. My husband and I have been talking recently about just a lot of things in the world and in the newscape, the media, et cetera. And yeah. we've got this word that we call everything. It's like we're living in a fraudscape, like a landscape, yeah. but it's fraud. Everything and is this fraud. Social media is then what they're doing is definitely a scam. Yes, I don't get it. It's like my daughter's father has a blue check. I'm like, what? Why? How do you <laughs> have the blue check? And he tried to be like, well, they just gave it to me. You paid. I know you paid. You only have like 800 followers. Stop playing me. I'm not stupid. <laughs> and it's like, I get the desire to feel like you are an important person. I promise you, I understand. But I'm not paying for that. I will wait until Instagram decides to verify me on their own. And if I never get my blue check, that's absolutely fine. Because that blue check does not dictate, again, me how I talk to my audience or the money that I make. That has nothing to do with it. Right. Yeah, I think the idea that I'm going to ever pay anyone anywhere, whether it's Mark or whether it's Elon or I don't even know who. I mean, maybe they'll all jump <laughs> on board and start doing something similar. Who knows? The idea exactly. that I'm going to pay anyone just for my own self-edification, like my desire to feel important, I'm already important. I don't need the check mark. Exactly. I and I, I don't I don't knock anyone who has done it because I can get it from again a business standpoint, stuff like that. But and I so I'm in this PR group on Facebook and they were trying to give me hell high water and everything because I was asking them. And this was before this was introduced. Like, hey, does anyone have any tips on verification? So these are the press links that I've had, blah, 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 blah. And they were like, well, you have to have more than this. And then, and then, and then, and then, okay, I, okay, y'all are loud and y'all are aggressive. It's okay. 
And then two weeks later, they introduced the paid program. So I'll go back to the post like, so let's circle back. What do y'all think about this? And all of my PR people are annoyed and pissed and I can get it. But for me at this point, I have no desire for a blue check anymore. The desire has gone. I think for me, because it's now so accessible, I don't want it. I don't like things that are so accessible. (laughs) I hate it. If you have it, I don't know if I want it. It's cool. Good for you, but I don't want it now. That's rich. Yeah, I think that that's, I feel like anyone in fashion kind of has that about them. This, This thing where if everyone can get it, we don't want it. And I feel like You could look at that as a negative thing, but it's kind of just how we are. Fashion is, underlying fashion is a veneer of elitism. Yes. And okay, I mean, what what are you going to say about that? Well, that's actually a good point because I don't know who I was talking to. And I even talked about this on the podcast because we're getting into the conversation of we really have to start making fashion more inclusive for all and I think when it comes to again how we support the emerging or no this is what I talked about on TikTok because it's been this trending conversation of people that buy luxury off of the gate or some of these other shops for like dupes and it's like for me you cannot tell someone else how to participate in fashion you don't dictate their buying power Unless you're going to Venmo them, pay their bills. If they find this acceptable Louis Vuitton dupe on the gate and they spent their hard-earned money on it, that is up to them and that's their contribution to the fashion industry. You cannot be elitist, you cannot be classist and try to bash them. Especially for me being a old product developer, knowing that half of these dupes that are very common staples under these fashion houses are actually made in China. And then sent to their quote-unquote country of origin because of cost purposes. They don't like to say that, but I know this for a freaking fact. One of the factories that we used to work with on product was a LV factory. So they would make the shell and then send it to the actual country of origin so they could just put the trims, embellishments, and stuff. And probably because of COVID, a lot of just the whole bag has been just made in China for cost purposes. Mm. So I got an embossed black Louis Vuitton bag for $45 from with the serial number, with the card, all that. So it's like, if you're, unless you know the ins and outs of luxury, you cannot be elitist enough to try to dictate someone else's buying power. Worry about yourself. If you're able to afford it, great job. Good for you. Blessings. I'm happy for you, but you also can't talk about people on this other side that just want to feel included. And this is how they include themselves. That is an interesting way of looking at it, because I will say for Manic Metallic, we, I don't know that we've done any talking about this recently, but I do think that something like counterfeiting, like the last time that I was in New York City, it was about maybe a month or so ago, we walked through Chinatown, my husband and I. And there are just all of these bags sitting mm-hmm. along the streets and people selling this designer bag and that designer bag. You know, you walk close to Times Square, same thing up along Fifth Avenue. And, you know, on the one hand, it's like having these bags here and just out on the streets for everyone to buy, it kind of takes money out of the pockets of those creatives that yeah. work for these companies that came up with the ideas. So, that's a strong feeling of mine. Yeah. 
but I do get what you're saying. Yeah. And I definitely, being on the other side, because I was one of the creatives, again, responsible for that. I, I definitely get that. What I, I think my, one of my feelings, I think trumps any other logical feelings, especially from any of these fashion houses that have made it blatantly clear that they don't celebrate minority creatives that keep committing acts of cultural appropriation. I think just like, I don't care if people counterfeit those brands. For me, if you're going to buy dupes, then make sure you're spending your money on authentic Black designers. Let's have that balance if you're going to do that. I also don't agree with, just from like a, obviously, business perspective. Now, I don't agree with these Instagram boutiques that take the dupes and they actually sell it. And then they sell it for more than what the dupe actually is. And what made me mad was I saw so many Instagram boutiques that were selling like the Telfars and some of, I think they're called CIS or CISE, C-I-S-E, the bags that have protect black women. That's their signature bag. I saw so many Instagram boutiques that were selling dupes of that. And it's like, that's not even that expensive. They Mm -hmm. purposely priced those bags or those products to be affordable luxury. That's what I have issues with. If we're going to sell counterfeit, do it to the companies that don't care about minority. Don't do it to the Black people that are trying to make it easier (laughs) for everyone to feel included. That makes no sense. You know what? You were talking about that. Instagram folks selling these dupes for more. All I could think was Fraudscape. Yes. <laughs> like that that's the term now, Fraudscape. Because I'm like, you you have to be out your mind. I can literally go on Telfar right now and get this. And you're selling it for twice the price when it was affordable in comparison to other luxury bags. Like, what are you smoking? Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this with people. If you're going to buy dupes or if you're going to counterfeit, have, in my opinion, make it make sense. I'd rather you buy dupes of LV and then buy all of the Brandon Blackwood at full price. Buy all of Telfar at full price. Buy Hannafah or this or that. Buy all that at full price. Support and bring that money back into communities that need it. They don't even cost that much to be. They don't. Just pay the money. Just pay the money. You're already spending the money. Or saving the money by buying your dupes. So buy, and Brandon Blackwood just knocked his signature ESR tote, which was the one that he went viral on. I think the permanent pricing is only $88. Oh. Right? <laughs> what? <laughs> I bought two because I know when they first came out, they were probably around $150 ish. And I've gone on the website over the course of like a month just to make sure I'm not tripping. It's between 86 depending on the fabric, and $88. And I think that's just his normal price. I don't know if he's trying to phase them out. I hope he's not. But you might as well stock up on all your ESR totes, Brandon Blackwood, Black Own, all that stuff. And it's still, in my opinion, it's considered luxury. It's really good quality. That's crazy. That's a wonderful price. Yes. (laughs) So one thing that we mentioned, basically, if you're a company or if you are a creator, branding yourself as a fashion expert, you need a website. That's a fact. And you mentioned getting a newsletter. Now, a lot of folks listening, if they're hearing this and they're thinking, okay, well, I can get a website set up. I can get a newsletter. How though would you recommend that those people 
get folks to sign up for their newsletter? Like, how do you build that? That's a great question. So for a lot of people that even if you identify as a content creator or say if you are, okay, here's a great example, a stylist. So what I have on my website is the 2023 wardrobe essentials. So it's basically everything in your closet that you should have. It's a free downloadable. So your call to action or my call to action is sign up for my newsletter and you get this free downloadable for your styling needs. And then even within that downloadable, then at the end of the page, I'm getting them to maybe go to all of my other social medias. Maybe I give them 10 or 20% off of booking me for a consultation, all that stuff. So if you can create a free guide or a free resource that is easy for you to put together, you can do it in Canva, very easy, and it provides some sort of knowledge or it's helping to solve a problem of your audience, you can easily get people to sign up for that. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to cost them anything. And now you have this retained audience that you know, if they sign up for this, then maybe I can do a $3.99 type product, something very cheap and easy. It's not going to cost me anything to put together. And then slowly but surely build it up from there. Okay, now I know that I'm doing an event and I am selling tickets for like $25. Okay, let's tap back into that newsletter list. And now I got those people not only getting the free downloadable, they then bought this $3.99 product. Now they're buying tickets to come see me for $25 and then just build it up from there. As long as you are providing your audience with knowledge or with content and it's just not spam, then you should not have any issues retaining that audience. Okay, yeah, those are your pieces of advice. Now, the only thing that I would add is that there's this law called GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation. So if you have an audience or you think you might have an audience based in the European Union, that's going to be a whole nother thing because they've got this thing where if you get people signed up for the newsletter, you've got like a lot of different rules, like giving away freebies. I think you maybe can't use the word free with that. There are different rules. So I'll put a link in our show notes for people to take a look at that. Just to be aware. So one other thing that I want to mention is that in being someone that brands himself as a fashion expert, and it's all about, in my view, it's all about being taken more seriously by folks so that you can get out there and make the money. Yes. But one thing that Manic Metallic did recently is we created a product actually to help people that were were and are thinking about starting their own fashion company creatives that may be intimidated by the technical aspects of starting a company. So what we did is we've been in business for a couple of years and we've got things that we've learned about how to example, start up a website or resources that we've used to start up a newsletter or set up business credit cards or So basically we took all of those resources and those technical tools and recommendations and we put that into a product that people could purchase on our website. Mm -hmm. And along with that, we've got a couple of other things where we list out exactly what resources that we use to build up our WordPress website. For example, if someone chooses to go to WordPress route and then there are just a ton of other tips that I've gained along the way in being a business owner because, and I created it because 
again, I lost so much faith in social media that I was like, okay, I know that creative folks usually don't have a grip around technical things and they're intimidated by it. And I came from a background of marketing and tech. So I felt like that is a way that my unique experience could be channeled into helping folks to maybe get over that technology intimidation and just get things started off the ground. So that's just something that I want to mention. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, that's definitely, I love that. And I feel like the same sentiments for me. So I actually have a resource page on my website because again, I, I'm all about doing away with gatekeeping. So it's like whatever resources that I can find and curate, let's go ahead and put them up. And I think it's everything from, again, your flow desk, your site ground, WordPress, stuff like that. I have like certain fashion events that people should go to. I have some designer resources, like branding resources. And some of these people, and this is kind of like why I like to do what I do, because of what I do, I get other creatives that may not be in the space of fashion, but that know that they are trying to retain fashion clients. They want to partner with me. So like some of like the branding services, if they book with this person or this creative through me, they're getting a percentage off because it's just the relationship that I have with that creative. And I love that because not only am I getting you guys this free resource, but I'm also getting you guys a percentage off just because of the relationship that I have. Or, and this is why, as much as I keep saying on social media, I do feel like YouTube is still going to be that thing all around and I need to tap back into YouTube. So I'm not on there as often as I would like. However, when I do get on there, I try to drop gems, resources as much as I can. And there was a video that I did highlighting Hue and Stripe, which is a stylist platform. Did it for free. I didn't get any money necessarily. It was just more so I like this platform. I used it before. I know a lot of people are trying to figure out how to basically have a CRM platform as a freelance stylist. Let me plug them. I even did a video with the founder. Cool. He emails me randomly like, hey, we've gotten so many stylists and choir and we actually have a few that have signed up just off of your video alone. What's your PayPal so I can just send you a thank you because you didn't have to do that. It is. And I oh, and I just had a meeting yesterday. So I'd say that I don't like to be called a fashion influencer, but I'm a fashion expert that understands the power of her influence. So met with a boutique here in St. Louis. They're doing a whole activation for me. And they asked me what my fee was. And I'm telling them, I'm only going to charge you guys this much because of what I do and how I'm able to leverage and make money elsewhere. I don't have to charge St. Louis as much as I probably would if I was just a normal influencer or if I was an influencer from out of town. I like to try to do that. I feel like that is my contribution just because I don't feel like me charging my community as much as maybe others would, it doesn't benefit anyone. If I could use my platform to get the message out about someone's amazing business that I already spend money with anyway, why not? Let's not even worry about the money part. At this point, give me some free clothes and we'll be okay. Right. I see. And that's just that aspect of wanting to give back to the community and pour into all of these folks to just try to benefit the entire fashion landscape around you. I yep. I really identify with that. I admire it. So one more question before we move on. Yeah. Another recent podcast episode that you did that I haven't quite gotten to listen to, but I want <laughs> which is the next one on my list. You talk about how 
I think that there's, I think that there's one, I don't remember which one it is, but basically how to get visibility. So mm-hmm. if, if you're getting into being a fashion expert and you're building your website, you're building up a newsletter, how then do you get that? If for our people listening here, how then do you get that visibility, get these quotes in Teen Vogue or other big outlets? How do you get on television? And I know that probably is something that could give a broad answer, but what's yeah. it have for now? Well, here's the thing. And this is going to be the first and the main thing that people need to understand. What is your why? Because in fashion, even if you identify hypothetically as a fashion designer, a fashion stylist, there are so many other people that identify as fashion stylists, designers. What is your authentic why? You really have to dig deep into if someone was going to book you for a service or if someone is to come to your page, your website, look and engage and digest your content. Essentially, what are they taking away? I had to realize that, especially when I did get into the idea of like, okay, I want visibility. I want articles around my name. But I can't just be another fashion influencer. I can't just be another fashion stylist. That's a kind of one of the reasons why I also kind of did a mini rebrand into being the fashion connector. For me, because I don't identify with the luxury space, and I know when it comes to trying to get featured in Vogue, Fashion Week, all the influencers and bloggers are out in front of the stage trying to get paparazzi to take pictures, hoping that Vogue or one of the fashion magazines puts them in the roundup. I don't want to do that because a lot of those, the consumer base of Vogue is still luxury. That's what it is. And we can't change that. I don't identify with that. So it may be harder for me to try to get into that. But me being a fashion expert, being able to speak on a multitude of topics from diversity to education to still styling, creative directing, product development, it's easier for me to get press because I don't have to even create the content for someone to talk about me. I do an interview, someone asks me for quotes, blurbs, recommendations, they put it together and that's how that goes. So when I really identify what my why is being a thought leader, being a fashion expert, being the fashion connector, connecting people to the amazing things in fashion, it was easier for me to really start to get people drawn into who I was as a person versus just being a normal influencer or a stylist. And that even goes in for me because I am not a content creator. That's not who I am. I have someone who I call baby sister. Her name is Jalinda Smith on Instagram and TikTok. She's a fashion lover. She is a content creator through and through. That is her. She has gone viral on TikTok a multitude of times, even when she had to start over and get a new page. She is that girl. I am not. So when I realized I'm also not fit to be a full-time content creator and influencer, I had to figure out a different way to approach being seen in fashion. And now it goes into, again, having those visibility vehicles and vessels so people can actually find you and connect with you and talk to you. So this is more of an aesthetics thing. However, it also goes into kind of like the psyche. I purposely did my rebrand and then purposely had my profile picture the same 
across all channels, even including my personal Facebook and my professional Facebook page. So it's that same headshot with me in the pink studded blazer. That is the same picture on every social media platform that I own. That way you understand, oh, okay, that's AK's profile. It locks in the visibility. I, and I need to make sure today, actually, I try to make sure that my tagline on all of my social medias are actually the same too. So, you know, AK Brown, fashion thought leader, fashion expert, connection maker, X, Y, and Z. You have to have that URL, whether it's to start a newsletter list, but ideally I would like you guys to have your website and you need to make sure that your website aligns with what you're talking about on social media. And I know it's hard and I want to emphasize and put a disclaimer that I am not saying this like it is easy. Website design for a lot of us does not come naturally to us. It took me six months just to decide on the template that I now use for my website. And then because I do my own website design, so I had to buy it, I had to tweak it, figure out placement of colors, making sure you got enough white noise background. It's hard. I promise you, I get it. However, when you invest your time and your resources into your vehicles of visibility that you own, people notice. I get people commenting, I love your website so much. Same. And it's like, thank you. Like, I feel proud because it's like, yeah, I I spent six months trying to get this freaking up and together. And on your website, you need to make sure that there are call to actions to like what you're going to get. You're going to get resources. You're going to get styling advice. You're going to get this. You're going to get that. You need to be clear in your messaging as far as who you are, what you're about, and what the takeaway is when people engage. And then you have to put yourself out there. You have to show up for your brand consistently, whether it's your website or even social media, because social media is still a good promotional tool. You can't just post once and then go away for three weeks. That's not being consistent or playing into the visibility of your brand versus someone else that even if it's realistic for them, they show up twice a week. At least they're consistently showing up twice a week, every Tuesday, every Thursday, or every Monday and every Wednesday, or three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You have to be consistent in how you show up. You have to talk to your audience. You have to connect with other people. So again, It goes back into my lane is my lane, your lane is your lane. We can still coexist. Connecting with other designers, connecting with other stylists, connecting just like you and me, connecting with other people that have fashion podcasts. We have to be able to connect so that way your brand gets out there. I actually just featured, I forgot it went live today, Brittany Diego, who I freaking love. She agreed to do a podcast interview with me and be featured on the blog. Yes. And she was on Forbes 30 Under 30. She owns Fashion Mentor, which is an elite stylist academy based out of LA. She's a celebrity stylist. She styled everyone at this point and everything. And now she teaches people how to become stylists. She's actually one of my inspirations, even though I think I'm about a year older than her. She's my inspiration. And it's still, we've connected through another stylist that I know of because she knows of her and we've been connected ever since. And then I reached out and she was all for it. So it's like, that's how you promote that visibility. You show up for your brand, you be authentic. That's one last thing I'll leave you guys with. 
you have to be authentic. I understand, especially with social media, it is easy to play into maybe I'll buy these followers just to maybe look more important or just like we were talking about. That's the offline idea. Offline yeah, idea, off idea. Don't ever do that because Instagram will basically not promote your account. So please don't do that, y'all. But even how we were talking about with the blue check, I understand that it's tempting to look more desirable, especially as you're trying to start off. But if you show up for your brand consistently, and if you have a clear message about why you're here, who you are, what you do, and what you're going to provide to your community, it's better to have a small following and authentic audience versus having a big following and half of your audience doesn't even care about what you're talking about. And then the other half is probably fake. I promise you guys, <laughs> I've, I've researched this. And I've also talked to people when I was even helping people with influencer marketing. And I tried to tell people, it's okay with that small following. Your engagement is there. It makes sense. It, you could still convert even with this small following. And I've helped them get brand deals and stuff because I think we're now, especially big brands are understanding fakeness. They are seeing through the fakeness. They are seeing through the fraud. Yeah. They don't want that because it costs them money. So they want to find the real authentic influencers that can actually still convert no matter how small their following is. They don't even want to deal half the time with the big influencers because it takes too long to figure out if their following is real or fake. Right. That's, I feel like that gives a lot of hope to folks that are smaller and trying to make their way. So yes, I only have 6,000, but I still get booked for panels, speaking engagements. I just spoke at Magic in February on one of their big panels. I I saw that. That was awesome. Thank you. I don't have tens of thousands of followers. And I don't even know if that is one of my goals because I feel like that would be too overwhelming for my anxiety and ADHD. So it's like, I'm okay with having my 6,000 followers. It still gets the job done. And my audience is absolutely authentic. We, we, some of us even have a personal relationship. I'm okay with that. It still does what I need it to do. Don't worry about the following. Worry about what you are giving to your community and actually engaging with the community that you have. Exactly. Now, before we move on from Magic, did you reach out to them or did they reach out to you? They reached out to me. And that was simply because I had saw their event coordinator. I didn't even know her. She just looked absolutely cute in like her 70s attire. And I went to take a picture of her. We exchanged Instagrams and then we had just followed each other for like six months after that. She had randomly DM'd me and I thought it was a, are you sure? Really? They sent over the contract. I'm like, oh my God, this is for real. And for me, it was full circle because at the school that I teach at, I actually graduated from there. So we would always, as a school, take two trips a year. We would go to the February Magic And then the August magic, you know, as students and kind of just get ourselves immersed into what this is, what's going on. And so now to actually go as a speaker in one of their more highly promoted panels, my boss even came. She changed her flight just to see me. It was awesome. And I loved it. But yeah, they reached out to me. I didn't even, and that was actually on my list to pitch them. And I had just not gotten around to it. I was like, it is what it is. If I pitch them, cool. If I don't. We'll wait until the next one. And then it was destined for me to speak because it happened without me having to even pull the trigger. That's super cool. And for everybody listening, that's the power of 
just showing up, just showing yes. up and being consistent. And yeah, just like you said, don't post and then skip off for like a month or so. <laughs> <laughs> but let's see. So we're getting towards the end here. Let's just do a few rapid fire questions real quick. Yeah. What's the direction that you'd like to see fashion heading in? Uh, more inclusivity. Okay. Give one piece of advice that you haven't given already to people that want to join the fashion industry or be involved somehow. What would you tell them to do? Um, try to get as involved in all of your interests, especially if you are young, no kids. That way, before you get to a point where you need to kind of pick one track, you have as much experience to really know what you want to do. Okay. And give us three folks in fashion, three designers, boutiques or whatever that you would recommend if people visit St. Louis. Where should we go? Definitely. Edgy Chic Boutique, The Style Vault, and then there is Hustle City and they are located in City Foundry. Wait, name was off again. I'm actually writing them down. I'm going to put them in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Edgy so, uh, Edgy Chic Boutique. Got it. And then Style Vault. Okay. And then Hustle City. Okay, got it. Yeah, I'll definitely put those in the show notes for you all to go and visit St. Louis, which you should do. It sounds like you guys have a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, we got a lot of things happening. We we got a lot. So I think St. Louis is becoming more of a funner city again, like it used to be. So if you're ever in the Midwest, come. I mean, it's only us in Kansas City and Missouri. So pick one or go to both. All right. So yeah, we're at the end. Thanks for being on the podcast, AK. Now, do you have anything that you would like to plug to people anywhere that they could go to keep in contact with you or follow you, keep up with what's going on? Definitely. So just like I've been talking about my website. So you can go to akbrownstl.com. And then I am at akbrownstl everywhere on social media. My main platform for the most part is Instagram. And then you can tune into my podcast, The Hot Guide, H-A-U-T-E. We have an episode every Thursday and you can be able to find that link from Instagram or my website. All right, this all sounds really good. And I'll link Basically everything that we've talked about that I said I was going to link, it's all going to be in the show notes, folks. <laughs> so thanks again for being on AK. Of course. Really enjoy hearing what you've got to say. And I'm sure that our audience is going to get a lot out of it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you got value out of today's episode, it'd mean a lot to me if you'd rate, review, and subscribe to the Manic Metallic Podcast. Be sure to tell all of your fashion-inclined friends and co-workers about the podcast as well. This would really help us to spread our message about fashion being an art, discipline, and force for societal change. And don't forget to stay in touch with us by subscribing to the Manic Metallic newsletter and following us on Instagram. Feel free to reach out to us through either of those means. I'd love to hear from you. I'll link these all in the show notes. You're the best. See you next episode.